Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam. I trust you and your household. You're doing well and you're blessed. Yesterday, you know, we uh, we are actually continuing on the same subject of uh, the power of the blood of Jesus. And yesterday we finished by talking about how the blood of Jesus gives us fellowship with God. And today we are going into another point here, which says the blood of Jesus makes us kings and priests. In Revelations 1 verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God the Father, God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what it says here, it says, firstly, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead. You know, this is interesting because here it says, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Before, before the cross <coughs> in the gospel, Jesus is, refer is referred to the only begotten son of God. He was the only begotten son of God the only one who was begotten by God. But after he rose from the dead, now he's the firstborn from among the dead. So what changed that? Well, because we were also born of God, because when Jesus told Nicodemus about being born again, and he said that we were born not of the flesh of man, not of the will of man, but we are born of God. So you and I are also born of God. And so Jesus no longer is the only begotten son of God, but now he's the firstborn and we are after him and we are also born of God. And that is the power of the new birth that we have in Jesus is that we can actually say, I'm a son of God or I'm a daughter of God and we are born of God. Hallelujah. And it says, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, this, this is a little interesting piece of trivia. I used to win in Sweden. I lived in Uppsala, Sweden. And in Uppsala, Sweden, uh, the, the coat of arms of, of the city of Uppsala, Sweden, is, is actually a shield uh, with a red field. And in, that, in that, uh, that red field, there's an orb with a cross on it. An orb is like a globe with a cross on it. That's what it's called. And every uh, royal house in Europe has that device. Every the royal house in Europe, uh, houses of Europe, they all have it, uh, you know, among their, their, their um, devices of authority and power and royalty. It's an orb, like a globe with a cross on it. And what it actually represents is the 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 orb the the globe the the you know the ball itself that represents the earth and the cross it represents that Jesus Christ is the king over all the earth so what it actually the royalty the royal houses of europe are saying is that we are kings but Jesus is the king of kings that is a recognition of Jesus as being the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, and that Jesus is not just the king of a nation, but he is the king of the whole earth. Hallelujah. So it says that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Then it says to him, so he says this, 
the firstborn from the dead, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he who even kings acknowledge to be their king, the king of all kings. It says that king, he has loved us. Oh, hallelujah. Can you imagine that the one who created the heavens and the earth, who is the who was the who is the firstborn from among the dead, the son of God, and who is the king over all the rulers of this earth. He in his that high personage, he loved us. He loved you and me. And not only did he love us, but he washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Jesus Christ, he loved you and me. And then he washed you and me from our sins in his own blood. And through his blood, he has made us to be kings and priests to his God and Father. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ, who is uh, the ruler over all the kings of the earth, he's uh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came down to this earth and he loved simple people like you and me. And he died for you and me. And he washed away all our sins, has cleansed us from our sins in his own blood. And then he has made us to be kings and priests to his, to his God and the Father. So it means that Jesus has made us kings and priests before God. He has made us kings and priests before God, his father. So that means that we have to live, we have to talk, live and walk like kings. And secondly, we have to live, walk and talk like priests of God. Now, uh, a king, and now you've got to remember, we are not king about, about, over other people, earthly kings. Yes, they are kings over other people. Like, for example, uh, I'm, I'm a subject of Sweden. I'm a Swedish subject. And in Sweden, I'm also a U.S. citizen, but I'm a subject of Sweden. And, uh, and in Sweden, we have a king. So he's our king. And I've not met him, but I met the crown princess. And uh, she is uh, uh, going to be the king. After this king passes, Princess Crown Prince Victoria is going to be our queen. And so I have met her. And when I met her, uh, I, you know, I greeted her. She was the crown princess. In fact, we were on a plane together and they were having a hard time getting the door open. So uh, I just stood up and shouted. I said, God bless the crown princess. And, and everybody was shocked because Swedish people don't do that. And she walked up to me and shook my hand and thanked me for, for blessing her in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and so, you know, we have got those kings, we have got those queens and she's our crown princess. And so we honor her and I've never met the king, but I've seen him from a distance. So we honor our royal family, right? And uh, so God has, but they are kings over a nation, but you and I, we are not kings over a nation, but we are kings unto God. That means that God has given us the status of kings on this earth. So to live and walk like a king, firstly, is that uh, because we are kings and we are kings under the kings, under the king of kings, we are, uh, we are kings under the king of kings. So everything that the king has belongs to us. We have access to everything that the king has. Secondly, because we are under the king of kings, 
we have to speak his decrees and his word and his laws here on this earth. We are here to enforce and to speak out. And how do we enforce his decrees? We, we by speaking his word. And so we speak his word to enforce his will and his word and his word because Jesus said that we should pray your kingdom come your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven so how is God's will going to be done on earth as it is in heaven it is when those who are his kings here on this earth speak his royal decrees and a king rules with the words of his mouth so we speak the word of God with the words of our mouth and we speak forth his degree decrees we speak forth his judgment we speak forth his words and when we do that that is how we we act as kings unto god because we are kings under him and that is uh, how do you say that is where we have our authority that is we where we have our royal power and royal anointing so we have to live like kings and we have to talk like kings hallelujah and our life should re should reflect our status as kings under the king of kings and as children of God through Jesus Christ. Our lives should reflect the fact that we have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that, that, in that involves a lot of things. Firstly, that we, we live our lives for, uh, to do the will of God. And secondly, we, love our, we live our lives to serve God, to set people free from bondage. That's what it's all about. We preach the gospel and we heal the sick. We cast out devils. We set people free from bondage. And uh, living like a king has nothing to do by, by being materialistic or loving things. You know, some people think that living like a king means, oh, I, I'm a king, so I should have a Rolls Royce. I'm a king. No, it's not about money. It's not about property. It's not about material things because our riches are laid up in heaven. You know, we shall receive a crown, but that's in heaven. A crown of glory is set up for us in heaven. So we have a mansion in heaven. So uh, our, and he told us that don't accumulate your treasures here on earth, but in heaven. So we have to understand that, that those things that, you know, we have are in heaven. But at the same time, God says that everything you need on this earth, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need shall be given to you. So we have those promises. And so you got to understand, don't, don't, uh, we are not to misuse these things to, uh, to, to, how do you say, we, we can't take the things of God and the scriptures and twist them to suit our own greed and our own, you know, the American way of life. We, we, we cannot do that. We have to fully understand. We are kings, yes, but we are kings under the king of kings. And so we are here to establish his rule and his authority and his word in the lives of our people. That's why we preach the gospel. We heal the sick. We cast out devils. And because we are kings, everything that the father has is ours and we have access to everything he has. And so, and if we seek first the kingdom of God, we seek first his kingdom, not our kingdom, but we are seeking his kingdom because our main goal is to build that's why it says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and kingdom is his purpose. Righteousness is what we need for life. So we seek his kingdom. That means our goal is to build the kingdom of earth of God here on earth and to expand the kingdom of God here on this earth. And then his righteousness, which is given to us 
that enables us to walk holy. The righteousness of God, it gives us access to the presence of God. Plus it enables us to live holy lives, a life that reflects the glory of our Father, of our Savior who has purchased us with his own blood. So that's what it means to be a king. So we are kings and we are priests. And a priest is somebody who represents um, people before God. A priest stands before God and he makes intercession for the people. And that's the second part of who we are. We are here. We stand in the gap for people before God. And you have sinners. We have people around us. We have situations around us. And we stand in the gap through faith, through prayer for other people. That's what makes us priests. So it says that we are, God has made us kings and he has made us priests unto him. Praise the Lord. And that, that is our life. That is not only our life, but that's our ministry to be kings and priests unto God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And the, so my point is that the blood of Jesus makes us kings and makes us priests. And as long as we walk in God's kingdom authority, in God's, uh, uh, in this God-given authority of kings and in this God-given position of priests, that is when we will have authority. Uh, royal commands, royal dominion, royal authority, it comes when we subject ourselves to the king of kings as kings unto him and under him and we let his decrees and his word flow through our lives and serve and touch the lives of other people. Hallelujah. So the point number 14 is that the blood gives us power over the devil. The blood gives us power over the devil. Now, the blood of Jesus gives us power, actually gives us power over Satan himself. In Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they have overcome or conquered him by means of the blood of the Lamb. <coughs> by means of the blood of the Lamb. I'm reading from the Amplified. And they have overcome, conquered him by means of the blood of the Lamb and by the utterance of their testimony, for they did not love and cling to life even when faced with death. So it says that that it's actually talking about the saints in the book of Revelation, and we are his saints, that we overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus. We overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus. Satan cannot stand against the blood because it was the blood that def that defeated him. It was the blood that defeated him. The Bible says that, uh, you know, in Colossians 2 verse 15, how, how Jesus disarmed the powers and principalities that were, uh, were against us upon the cross. And that what he's actually talking about was by the blood that he shed upon the cross. So when Jesus shed his blood upon the cross, through that precious blood, Satan has been dethroned and Satan has been totally disarmed by the power of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. So we overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus. And when we in Africa, we used to sing an old song. It goes like this. I will stand right under the blood where the devil can do me no harm. When we stand under the blood of Jesus, the devils are subject to us. The devils are subject to us when we, when we stand under the blood of Jesus. So it says we have, oh, they overcame the devil by the means of the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is why 
We must keep our testimony pure because our testimony is our story of what God, what Jesus has done for us through his blood, through his cross. Whatever Jesus, that's my testimony. My testimony is how I grew up as a Muslim and how Jesus washed me in his precious blood and how he cleansed me and how he baptized me in the Holy Spirit and he raised me up. And that is my testimony. And that testimony is something along with the blood that overcomes the devil. And then it says, for they did not love and cling to life even when faced with death. You know, this is interesting because uh, in, in the Western world, we cling to life. We love life and people, people cling to life because they're afraid of death. That's what it really is. They cling to life because they, they dread the thought of what is going to happen on the other side. For some people, it's that they dread the thought of what is going to happen on the other side. Then there's other people who cling to life because they think that this life is so wonderful. They have so many material things and this is what there it is, what there is, and it cannot be anything better than this. They don't and they have no vision of heaven. They don't realize that it's far more wonderful there because they have these trinkets in this world and they hold on to it and they work their whole lives to accomplish, to buy certain things, to own certain things. And they hold on to those things because those things are everything. And then other people there, uh, they're just afraid. They're just afraid, you know, of the unknown. But the thing is that for us, these things are not unknowns. I remember uh, when I was arrested and they told me they would kill me, I suddenly realized that, you know what? The worst thing they could do to me is the best thing they could do to me. Because if they killed me, which was the worst thing they could do to me, they told me if I didn't recant and and, and, and leave my faith in Christ, they would kill me. And I, you know, it suddenly, of course, was I scared? I was scared, but then I realized, why should I be scared? Because if they killed me, which was the worst thing they could do to me, it was the best thing they could do to me because I would leave this world and I would go to heaven and I would walk in streets of gold and I'd be in the presence of Jesus. So, you know, so when people don't cling to life, but even when faced with death, but they're willing to die for their testimony, willing to die for their faith in the blood of Jesus. That's how you overcome. That is what gives you power of the devil. Hallelujah. So he says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. This is how you overcome. You overcome the devil through the blood of the lamb. The blood of Jesus always defeats the devil. I mean, I've seen many times when there's demon possessed people and you know, you command them to come out and nothing seems to be happening. And then I begin to say the blood of Jesus, 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 the blood of Jesus. I cover this man with the blood of Jesus. And I tell you, if there's anything the devil is scared of that he fears, and, and that he's terrified of is the mention of the blood of Jesus. The moment you talk about the blood of Jesus, it terrifies the devil. So when I cast out devils, I always bring up the blood, always, because that is my greatest weapon to defeat Satan, to de defeat evil spirits, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blind eye. Then I lay my hands upon the demon possessed people and I say, I cover you with the blood of Jesus. And the devil don't like that. Devil doesn't like that. Devils scream and they're terrified. And so, and when I'm preaching in Africa, 
especially when I'm preaching on the blood. You know, I preach on the cross. I preach on a lot of different things. But when I begin to preach on the blood, I've got my favorite message on the blood from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, there shall be a fountain open in the house of David and in Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Then I begin to talk about that fountain, which is the blood of Jesus. And I tell you, when I get into it and begin to preach about the blood of Jesus, demon possessed people begin to scream and they fall on the ground as the devils begin to come out of them because there is power in the blood of Jesus. That is one thing that the devil cannot handle are Christians who talk about the blood because they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. So that is why, listen, if you want to have power over the devil, if you want to make the make demons run, that's what you have to do. We have to make much of the cross and make much of the blood of Jesus and preach about the blood of Jesus. And believe me, that is when you you know, you cast out demons, you heal the sick, you do all those Pentecostal things because of the power of the blood of Jesus. In fact, our Pentecostal beliefs, they all center around the blood. You might say it's the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit. But the thing is that when, when we preach about the blood, that the Holy Ghost falls. The Holy Ghost doesn't fall because you talk about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost falls when we talk about the blood. When we make much of the blood, because the Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus. So when we make much of the blood of Jesus, we preach and proclaim and we sing of the blood and we preach about the blood. We talk about the blood. We lift up the blood. Believe me, the Holy Ghost will always fall in a situation like that. So it's very important that we, 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 we study what the blood is and what it has done for us. Anyway, the blood of Jesus gives us power over the devil. Now, the next point I want to share with you is uh, point number 15. It says the blood speaks. The blood speaks. The blood of Jesus actually speaks. Hebrews 2, 12, 24 and says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So the blood of Jesus speaks and not only it speaks, but it speaks better things than that of Abel. Now it's referring to the story of Abel and Cain, how Cain, uh, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first two children. And what happened was that when it was time to uh, bring an offering to sacrifice before God, Cain uh, was a farmer. He made a nice fruit basket, made an arrangement of fruit and vegetables, and he made and presented it to God. That was his offering. That was Cain. Now Abel, what he did, he wanted to sacrifice to God. So what he did was he, this is my paraphrase of the biblical story from Genesis. What Abel did was Abel, uh, he, he, he was a shepherd. So he went to his flock and he thought, you know, God is so good to me. I want to give to God the best that I have. So he went to his flock and he saw this little lamb, which he loved and prized more than anything else. He says, I will give to the Lord that lamb because the best I have. So he took that lamb and with tears flowing down his cheeks with great pain in his heart because he was making such a sacrifice by giving away something that he loved very much. So what happened was that he sacrificed that lamb and he put that lamb on the altar as a sacrifice to God. So the Bible says that God looked at Cain's offering 
He lifted, lifted Abel's sacrifice and God rejected Cain's offering and he accepted Adam, uh, sorry, Abel's sacrifice. And so what happened when he did that, uh, Cain got jealous of his brother uh, and killed Abel. So he killed, that was the first murder or a fratricide in the Bible. So Cain killed his brother Abel because, um, because the deeds of Abel were greater and better than the deeds of Cain, his brother. And so the Bible tells us that Abel's blood began to call out to God from the ground. Abel's blood actually spoke. So Abel's blood cried out for justice and for vengeance. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy for us. And we are seeing here in America, there's injustice and those who have died, it's almost like people are crying out for justice. So the blood of Abel was crying out for justice and, and for vengeance. But you think of Jesus, how Jesus was crucified. He had not done anything wrong, had not hurt anybody. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel. He forgave sinners. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. And still evil men took him and they whipped him and bruised him and beat him. And they took him to Calvary where they crucified him. And there he hung upon the cross and he died upon the cross between cruel thieves. And they took down his body and uh, they put him in a grave. And then the Bible says his body was in the grave, but his, his soul went down to Hades and there he preached, he preached the gospel. Then he set free the captives and then he arose from the dead and he came back to the earth, risen, resurrected from the dead. And then the Bible says that he ascended to heaven and he ascended to heaven. And the Bible actually says that he went to heaven with his own blood. And he sprinkled the altar at the most holy place with his own blood. So there is an altar, obviously, at the presence of God. And the, like in the Old Testament, the priest used to sprinkle the altar with the blood of bulls and goats. But Jesus sprinkled the altar in heaven with his own blood. And that blood which is upon that altar is speaking today. And that blood is speaking not for vengeance or justice upon those who killed Jesus, but is speaking for mercy. It is speaking for salvation. It is speaking for healing. It is speaking for deliverance for those people who killed him and who do not deserve it at all. And let me tell you, you know, people over the years, you know, the roots of anti-Semitic Semitism is based on the fact that, Je that the Jews killed Jesus. Historic anti-Semitism, the Jews killed Jesus. But you know what? Really? It wasn't just the Jews who killed Jesus. You know, they handed him to the Romans to be crucified. That's what happened physically. But spiritually speaking, we were all guilty in the killing of Jesus. I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. You know why? Because he went to the cross, not because of the Jews or the Romans. He went to the cross because of your sin, because of my sin. So I can't just say the Roman, you know, uh, Christians blame the Jews. The Jews killed Jesus. And I met Jewish people who said, no, no, we didn't kill Jesus. The Romans killed him. It's in the Bible. And um, But the fact is that both the Jews and the Romans are to blame. But the real ones to blame are you and me. 
because you know they were just used by God to crucify him uh, well if you can use that term used by God but or the devil or whoever used them but the point is that we are the ones who put him on the cross if it wasn't for your sin and for Christopher Alam's sin Jesus would not go upon the cross so when Jesus died upon the cross he died because of your sin. He died because of my sin. So we are just as culpable, as guilty for the blood of Jesus <coughs> as any Jew, any of the Jews who said crucify him or any of the Romans who actually pierced his hands and feet with the nails. So you and I are culpable. You and I are guilty before God and the blood of Jesus, which is on the altar, is crying out your name, just like the blood of Abel cried out. But the blood of Abel cried out for mercy. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. Uh, the blood of Jesus cried out. Uh, the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy, for salvation, for, for healing, for blessing, for life abundant, for the very people who shed that precious blood. And I am guilty because it was because of me he died upon the cross and you are just as guilty. But his blood upon the altar, oh, thank God, is crying out for you and for me, but is crying out for mercy. And that is why I can say, although I was guilty of the blood of my Lord, I am saved because his blood cried out my name when I was lost in sin, when I was far from God. The blood of Jesus cried out the name of Christopher Alam for mercy, for life. And it's because of the cry of that blood that I'm here today. And that is why you are here today. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your precious blood. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the saving life of Christ. Put your hand upon my brothers and sisters and upon me. We are so grateful for what you have done for us. Thank you that you washed us in your blood and made us clean and made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. We glorify and honor you in Jesus' name. Well, praise God. I'll be seeing you tomorrow. God bless you.